Our scripture lesson is taken first from the Old Testament, from page 896 in the Pew Bible, Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, the first six verses. Jeremiah 23, page 896. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up, raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Then our text for today is taken from John chapter 10, page 1235, 1235. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 10 and reading through verse 21. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he who is a hireling and not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling that does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up, take it again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore there was division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? As far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, last week we saw that John chapter 10 begins with an illustration of what took place in John chapter 9. John chapter 9 was the account of a man born blind who was healed by Jesus and who confessed faith in Jesus in front of the scribes and Pharisees 
and as a reward for his good confession, was excommunicated by the scribes and the Pharisees, expelled from the synagogue and from temple service. And so Jesus begins chapter 7 with a story about shepherds and sheep and thieves and robbers and how shepherds take good care of the sheep leading them, uh, keeping them safe at night and leading them out of the gate in the morning to pastures and uh, to be fed and cared for while thieves and robbers break in and steal to uh, use the sheep to their own advantage, to profit themselves. Of course, he's referring to the fact that the scribes and Pharisees here are abusing the flock by uh, excommunicating the faithful, the ones who are the true believers, are uh, oppressed by the scribes and the Pharisees, while Jesus heals them and helps them and brings them to faith in him. We saw last week that Jesus compared himself as the gate through which the sheep must pass, the door through which they must pass, uh, in order to go out into pasture to have a, a rich, full life. And he says, I've come that you might have abundant life. And it's through Jesus that we have abundant life. That is eternal life. Eternal life that begins now with the down payment of the Holy Spirit, but includes especially the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth and being with God in an eternal kingdom of righteousness, peace, and ever-increasing joy and glory. Well, Jesus is the way to that abundant eternal life. But how do we get there uh, through Jesus? Well, in our passage today, we're told how we get there when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd is the one who takes us to that abundant life. Now, uh, so we want to examine today what that means, that he is the good shepherd. First of all, we need to take note that the word good, uh, it's the Greek word kalos, uh, is not a word that implies uh, gentle and kind. Uh, Jesus is a gentle sa Savior, to be sure. Isaiah 40 says, you know, he will gather his lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. Uh, uh, Jesus is indeed meek and mild uh, as such. But that's not what this word is conveying. This word means uh, noble or worthy he is the noble shepherd. Uh, he's the, uh, the genuine shepherd, the genuine article, the authentic shepherd. He is the original model and the, the standard by which all other shepherds are to be judged. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, he's called the great shepherd, the great shepherd. And that's what the, this word connotates. Uh, uh, the good shepherd is the noble shepherd. And what makes him the noble shepherd, the worthy shepherd, the shepherd above all other shepherds, the great shepherd well, it's the fact that he lays down his life for the sheep. Unlike a hired hand that has no real attachment to the sheep and runs away when the, uh, at the first sign of danger, Jesus holds his ground and he defends the sheep. But Jesus is even better than the average shepherd. The average shepherd might, uh, if the occasion called for it, risk his life to save the sheep. But it would be very rare that any shepherd would lose his life in an attempt to uh, save the sheep. And if he did die, 
It would not be because he intended to do so, for that would uh, leave the sheep alone and helpless. Uh, In ordinary affairs, uh, the death of the shepherd would be called a tragic accident, tragic both for the sheep as well as for uh, the shepherd. But the death of Jesus, far from being an accident or tragic, is what qualifies him to be the good shepherd, the noble shepherd, the worthy shepherd. Uh, It's by his death that he benefits the sheep. That passage in Hebrews 13.20 says, The great shepherd of the sheep who by the blood, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equips us with everything good. Uh, It's by his shedding of his blood that we are equipped with everything good. And that's what makes him the good shepherd. Our text uh, says that Jesus gave his life for the sheep. Uh, On their behalf, the word implies a sacrifice, one who dies in the place of another as a substitute. His death is not merely a demonstration of the extent of his love. There are many uh, people and theologians also and uh, even uh, preachers in churches today who are... uh, don't like the idea of blood atonement, and so they have redefined the the death of Jesus as having a, a good moral influence on us. It's it's a demonstration, just a demonstration of of how much He loves us, that He's willing to die for us. But this idea that that someone has to pay for our sins with their blood uh, that's that's too old fashioned and out of date and. And so they, uh, they simply say the death of Jesus is a, a demonstration of his love. Well, certainly it is that, but it's much more than that. If, if it's only that, if it's only that, then it would be like a, a, a flock of sheep grazing in a pasture contentedly and safely and the shepherd uh, wandering to the, uh, walking over to the edge of the pasture where there is a cliff and shouting to the, the sheep, now sheep, Uh, Look up and pay attention. I'm going to jump off this cliff to show you how much I love you. That just makes no sense at all that he would uh, plunge to his death over the cliff just to demonstrate how much he loves the sheep. Rather, the assumption is that these sheep are in mortal danger and that in order to save the sheep, uh, the only way to save the sheep is by the death of the shepherd who dies for them in their place. It is the death of the shepherd that saves the sheep. And that is what makes Jesus the good shepherd, the noble shepherd, the worthy shepherd. Now, why would Jesus do that? Well, he tells us in verse 14 where he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. I know my sheep. Now, I hope many of you are aware of the fact that when the Bible talks about knowing it implies more than just cognitive awareness, just being uh, saying, oh, yeah, I'm acquainted with that. Uh, I'm acquainted with those people. I know those people. Uh, biblical word for knowledge implies an intimate relationship, like Adam knew his wife and she conceived and, and bore a son and the same is said of Abraham and Sarah and so forth. And when God says, I know you, he's uh, saying, I love you. I love you intimately. The relationship between God and his people is illustrated in human relationships by the relationship between a husband and wife, the most intimate and loving relationship. And that's the kind of relationship Jesus has. And he has it with us. 
the same kind of relationship he has with the Father. For he says in the next verse, and the Father knows me, and even so I, am, I know the Father. There's a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, three persons, one God, who have loved each other with a personal love, an infinite love, an eternal love. That's how they know each other. They know each other intimately, personally, in a loving bond of communion and fellowship. And now Jesus says, I know my sheep. I have the same kind of relationship with my sheep that I have with my Father. A loving relationship. That's why I lay down my life for my sheep. The Father loves us and the Son loves us. In uh, uh, Ephesians uh, 1, verse uh, 4 and 5, we read, In love... He, that is the Father, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. In love, He predestined us. Not just He predestined us, I'm going to make a plan here, but in love He did it. And then in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So the Father loves us, the Son loves us, and that's why this noble shepherd, this great shepherd, this worthy shepherd, lays down His life for His sheep. Now, He also wants us to understand in this passage that He doesn't do that just for the Jews. He says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, and I... and." Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about the fact that it's not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well that he lays down his life. Verse 16 is a reference to the fact that Jesus is the Savior of some from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. It would be some time before the disciples would understand this. Uh, This was... Something really radical. It's one of the the mysteries of Revelation, things that we don't understand on our own but have to be revealed to us. And this not only had to be revealed, but it had to be hammered home again and again before they really began to understand and live out the reality that not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also are included in the family of God. And God is gathering his flock from every corner of the earth and from every people of the earth. We need to remember that in these racially charged times where uh, there is so much tribalism and each tribe uh, sticking to themselves and looking down at others or looking with suspicion at others and being fearful of others. We are one people in Christ from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. God loves uh, the world and sent his son so that uh, whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. We're also told here that he, he doesn't just rescue us from bad shepherds. Uh, he does that and uh, Jeremiah, the passage we read from Jeremiah talks about he he gets rid of the bad shepherds and gives uh, good shepherds. And, uh, but he also saves from the wolf. Uh, in verse uh, 12, the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Uh, the bad shepherds don't protect from the wolf. The good shepherd, the great shepherd, protects from the wolf. 
We're reminded from Ephesians chapter 6 that uh, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly realms. We have an enemy, Satan, and Satan destroys the work of God. He tries very hard to destroy the work of God and scatter God's sheep. But Jesus says, I've come. I've come to do what many other shepherds failed to do or wouldn't do to save you from the enemy, the enemy who seeks your destruction. And he does that for us because he loves us. To make it even clearer that his death is for us, he tells us two more things in this passage. First of all, he tells us of his uh, his willingness to do it, uh, that because of his willingness to do it, the Father loves him. Uh, He reminds us that... uh, In verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life uh, that I may take it up again. The father loves him for doing this. Sometimes people have the idea that, that God is angry at the world and God is threatening to destroy the world and Jesus jumps in in between us and the world and and twists the father's arm to get him to relent, to, to be good to us. No, that's, that's not the case at all. The Father sent the Son to do this. And the Father approves of Him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And, and because He's doing this, I love Him. It, it's the Father's plan that the Son is carrying out. And so we don't have to be afraid of God the Father as if uh, uh, He's the one whom uh, Jesus is defending us against. No, it's the devil that He's uh, uh, fighting against, not His Father. Uh, he doesn't have to twist His Father's arm to get His Father to forgive our sins for the sake of uh, Jesus' atoning death. The Father loves us and, uh, has, uh, and loves the Son for what He's doing. But one other thing he tells us here is that nobody takes his life from him. He says, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. If all that could be said of Christ's death was that his enemies conspired against him and took his life, then the death of Christ would be nothing more than uh, a heroic, uh, tragic uh, martyrdom. It would not be a God-ordained sacrifice whose moral significance is bound up with the willingness of Christ to submit to it. But the Bible makes clear that although the hands of lawless men crucified him, yet it was in accord with the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We read in Acts 4, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your plan, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Yeah, there were all kinds of people who gathered together to put Jesus to death, but when they did it, they did it according to the plan that God had predestined to take place. So no one takes his life from him. Uh, it's not an ac- his death is not an accident or a tragedy. Uh, it's not the triumph of his enemies. It's the Father uh, sending the Son and the Son voluntarily laying down his life to pay for our sins. The authority he received from the Father not only allows him to lay it down, but also to take it up again uh, for the resurrection. When he is resurrected, then there is but one logical conclusion that the Father will reward the Son and glorify the Son. And indeed, uh, the Father has taken the Son to heaven and seated him at his right hand. 
where we worship Him today. So as we come to the Lord's table today, we need to remember, we need to remember that Jesus is the Good Shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. We read in the last part of our text that uh, there was division among the Jews because of these sayings. Some said He had a demon, and some said, uh, no, he's, uh, he's from God because uh, someone with a demon couldn't ca- uh, heal the blind. There's, those are two of three possible reactions. One is to reject Jesus and say, I, I want no part of him. This isn't for me. Uh, the other is to say, look at the wonders he can do, and uh, maybe he'll do some wonders for us. Uh, there's a third response. The third response is indicated a little earlier in, my tech, in our text in verse 16. They will hear my voice, and there will be one flock. They will hear my voice. There are those who hear the voice of Jesus and follow him, and follow him wherever he goes, no matter what it entails. Even if they must share in the sufferings of Christ, they follow him. I pray that your faith may be the faith of those who hear the voice of Jesus and who follow him. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is the Good Shepherd the great shepherd of the flock, who by the blood of the eternal covenant equips us with everything good. We pray now that as we come to your table, you would feed and nourish our hearts unto eternal life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.